Shechem of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, You will fill me with your joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. Contentedness in exile. I'll just open with a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your servant David, for his wisdom and his faithfulness. Grant us understanding as we hear your word this morning. May the Holy Spirit open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, we belong to a different kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. As such, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We await the day when Christ will come again, or we find ourselves in heaven. There we will truly belong. In this sense, we are living in exile, awaiting the day when we will finally arrive home. But while we live here, we live in a place where people hold different values and worship different things. Some people fear the love of the Lord and trust his son Jesus for their salvation. But many do not. They worship other things. They might worship other gods. They might worship themselves. They might worship money or celebrity or any number of other things. But they are not of the kingdom of God. They are of the world. And for a Christian, this world is a difficult place to live. It is filled with temptations. We often face persecution. We constantly see God's rule pushed aside and sin multiplies around us. How do we live with contentedness, even joy in such a world? The context of Psalm 16 is not given clearly, so a bit of detective work is needed if we want to figure it out. In verse 1, David seems to be in trouble, or at least trouble is near at hand, because he is seeking the help of the Lord. And then in verse 4, there are some references to how others around him are worshipping other gods. It's possible that during David's rule as king, the people in Israel had fallen into worshipping other gods. It sometimes happened because people from other nations were living amongst them in Israel, and the Israelites were influenced by these people to worship their gods. And then Israel was quite capable of inventing their own gods, as they did when they first left Egypt and worshipped the golden calf. But there's no obvious example of this occurring in David's rule. But there is another time that seems to connect well with this psalm. There was a time not long before David became king 
when he and his men, who numbered around 600, plus their wives and children, fled from the persecution of King Saul, who was king of Israel at that time. They had nowhere to go, so they went and lived with the Philistines. They were given a place to live in called Ziklag. And there they lived a double life, defeating Israel's enemies behind the back of the Philistines, but at the same time living amongst them as friends. They were there in the land governed by Achish, king of the Philistines. This was a time of exile for David and all those with him. They were not able to live in the promised land. And during this time, the potential to fall into worshipping other gods would have been greater than David at any other time in his life. For David and his men, while they lived in Ziklag, they were abandoned by their country and forced to live in a place where worship of other gods was normal. It's not that different from how we live today. There isn't a Christian nation anywhere on earth. There are some that might get closer than others, but in most places, and here as well as any other, the majority of people reject God and his Son. They aren't fellow believers. Instead, people around us have taken up worship of other things, and their practices are a constant influence upon us. And so even today, we might pray like David does in Psalm 16. A prayer in a pagan land. David begins, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. There may not have been an immediate need for any kind of saving act of God at that time, but David could see the potential. Keep me safe, watch over me, guard me. From what? From all things. From my enemies that would attack me, from the influence of the world upon me, from the sinfulness of my own heart that might otherwise lead me astray. David calls on the Lord because he trusts him. He has found refuge in the Lord, and you'll find refuge in him again. God's saving hand had saved him from wild beasts when he was a shepherd. God's saving hand had saved him from the spear and sword of Goliath, from the arrows and armies invading Israel. And it had saved him from the hand of King Saul. In the Lord, David would take refuge. And in the Lord, he has saved us too. He has shown himself worthy to us in providing salvation for us in his son Jesus so that you too can call on him because of our heavenly father is faithful and his love endures forever. Verse 2 of the psalm says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So that first word Lord in this verse is the name of the Lord God. I am that I am, Jehovah. Therefore we know that David is speaking of the one true God here and not of any ordinary Lord, you know, like lowercase Lord. But the second Lord is the ordinary term for Lord or Master. And that role in our life can easily be taken over by another. While in Ziklag, the king of the Philistines was David's Lord, his master, at least in the public eye. And this king, Achish, treated David quite well. But here in verse 2, David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He is affirming that whatever else may be, the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, is his true Lord and master. We will have other masters in this world, but above all of them should be the Lord. David would toe the line with Achish as much as he was able. 
One time, we even answered a call to assemble for battle against Israel. Thankfully, the Lord ensured that there was a way out of that for him. For David, the Lord God was his Lord. For David, the Lord was also his provider. All the good in his life, even the good treatment he received from Achish, David attributed to the Lord God alone. In this place, far from the people of God, David found favour that he did not deserve from a king that was his enemy. And David counted it as a work of God, his true Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David is saying, my welfare, my prosperity, my good is nothing apart from you, Lord. Any good I've received has come from your hand. For us, living under the lordship of others, whatever we see, that is the government or the boss at work or even the head of our family, others don't necessarily share our faith. And it can be that our loyalty can be swayed. We can end up wanting to please those who provide for us or govern us more than pleasing our Lord and God. At some point, others may make us choose between our Lord and themselves. And when that happens, we ought to say with David, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. David's love is for the Lord. But also he loves those to whom the Lord loves. As he says in verse 3, As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. David was who was anointed to be king, would delight in those he called. So he was called to protect and rule over. He loved them in the same way that the Lord did. He loved the people of God. While in Ziklag, David had some people he needed to protect, but the greater nation of Israel he loved too. And so he and his men would attack the enemies of Israel, defending their borders even while they lived in exile. The holy people who are in the land are those who also love and trust God. In David's day, it was those who loved and feared the Lord and looked forward to the coming of his Messiah. They were the true faithful of Israel. Today, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be. And like David, your love for the Lord should be seen in your love for all the faithful. So why is that? If you love the Lord, then you will love those that he loves. And he especially loves all those who have turned to him and found his mercy and forgiveness. We can be a terrible lot sometimes. Just because someone becomes a Christian, it doesn't mean that overnight their sinful inclinations have been removed and never rear their ugly heads again. As Christians, we constantly seek to rid ourselves of sin. And while we seek great progress, none of us has yet achieved it. And so there will be times when our Christians, sorry, when other Christians do wrong to you. But none of that should come as a reason for not loving and caring for them. For the same God that forgave you forgives them too. And the same God that poured out his love and mercy upon you pours it out upon them too. For them Jesus died as he died for you, and in them lives the Holy Spirit, just as he lives in you. Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if you truly love the Lord, 
then you should treat your brothers and sisters in Christ with mercy and forgiveness, and most of all, with love. Our first love should always be for the Lord. But with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will also share a special relationship. Our love for each other should lead us to encourage each other in times of trial. Our love for each other should see us delight in each other's progress, in our faith, even as we might stumble a little ourselves. And so there is much comfort and joy to be had in fellowship with each other. Love is very much part of being a Christian. We are to love the Lord. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are to love even our enemies. But we are never to raise the love of anything or anyone above the love we had for the Lord himself. David says in verse 4 of the psalm, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Throughout Israel's history, the temptation is always there to chase other gods of the nations around them, or even to create new gods and idols. And when things got tough, they sometimes abandoned God too. While living in the country of the Philistines, David and his men lived under the influences of others who worshipped other gods. The Philistines detested the people of the Lord and waged war against them. But to David and his men, these people were friendly. How easy it would have been for them to abandon the Lord and fall in with the gods of the people that supported them. For those who love the Lord, this is not something that can be done. And in these verses we see David committing himself to worship of the Lord alone. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Are we to commit ourselves to the same task? If you find other gods or other things in life to love more than the Lord God, then your sorrows shall be multiplied. In some countries today, other gods are pursued still. And the Bible says their sorrows will be multiplied. The gods of other religions are not our God. They bear no resemblance in character and no resemblance in what they have done. And the Bible says their sorrows will be multiplied. Even those of the Jewish faith have rejected the Son of God, the Messiah who holds open the door to peace with God and to everlasting life. And the Bible says their sorrows will be multiplied. But the more common behaviour today is to love yourself more than God, to chase after self-satisfaction, to chase after satisfaction from others. And if you do that, the Bible says your sorrows will be multiplied. There are so many alternatives for our love and desires, but none of them will satisfy like the Lord. The things of this world are fading pleasures. They are temporary highs that can never truly satisfy. Some might satisfy you for a time, but not for long. If you pursue money instead of the Lord, you will never have enough. If you pursue possessions instead of the Lord, you will always want more. The latest and greatest is always surpassed by other things you cannot possess. And in the end, all that awaits you, those who reject the Lord, is condemnation and hell. There is only sorrows upon sorrows for those who chase after other gods. So is there contentment in this life? 
The temptation to chase after other gods is greater when we become discontent with our lives. We've become discontent with what the Lord has given to us and we desire more. We see others chase after money and we see their satisfaction and we become dissatisfied with our share. We see what others have. We see these ideals on television and social media of beauty and happiness and we become dissatisfied with ourselves, with our lives, with our work, with our children, with our wives and husbands. Is that what you're doing? While David lived in Ziklag, it would have been tempting to become dissatisfied. He was cast out of the promised land, out of the inheritance which God had given to his people. To return could mean death. He lived a life of rejection, of exile. But he was content. He says in verse 5 and 6, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What it is that David has received from the Lord as his inheritance? What was this portion? Well, one way of translating verse 5 is, Lord, you are my portion and cup. David possessed a relationship with the Lord that was far more important to him than anything else the world could offer. And it was far more precious. And we share in that relationship through Jesus Christ. In Jesus himself, we have a relationship with the one through whom all things were made. In Jesus, we have found peace with God. And in Jesus, even the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. Who else can make that claim? Who can claim to be on speaking terms with the creator of the full extents of the universe, the one who is sovereign over all things? As David says in verse 7 and 8, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Isn't that what we should find great happiness in? Isn't this a great inheritance? The Lord does counsel us and instruct us through our hearts. We have his word before us in scripture. We have his spirit with us who is reshaping our hearts and minds so that our conscience and desires begin to align so well with the will of God. And when we follow our Lord Jesus, aren't we really putting the Lord before us? When you trace the steps he places before you, when you follow his instruction, then you will know he is always there beside you and can never be shaken. The world may change, your circumstances of life may be completely turned upside down, but the pleasure of knowing that the Lord is with you, that the power of God stands ready to hold you, no matter what comes your way, it remains. Sometimes we find our li ourselves distressed, make no mistake, this world of sin can bring calamity to our door. We can bring trouble to our lives ourselves by our own sins. But the Lord is there and caring and watching, comforting us and supporting us, holding you so that you will not fall. A Christian can find joy in everyday worldly things, just as much as the next person in the world. But the Christian's joy and contentedness is not dependent on their circumstances. Because outside of what happens to us, 
we always have the Lord, even in death. As David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. These verses speak of the resurrection of the dead and the joys in eternity to come. In verse 10, David even foresees the resurrection of the Messiah himself, who is Jesus Christ. And that resurrection is something that all the faithful will share in. Now there is something to look forward to, eternal life in the presence of our Lord. There, David says, is life fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. There, our relationship with the Lord will reach its fullness. There, we will have eternal fellowship with every saint from all time. And there, we will take great pleasure in knowing in that sin will be no more. And our every delight will be in the Lord himself. Forget all the fading and passing pleasures of this world. The fullness of joy is only to be found in the presence of the Lord God. It is the Lord himself that is the source and object of our greatest joy. People place their hopes in all kinds of things. People, week after week, put their money in the lottery in the hope of one day winning it, thinking all their problems will dissolve in a flurry of cash. People put their hopes in the success of their children and their future hoping that in them success will come where they feel they have failed. People put their hope in retirement. They hope to see a better world by getting involved in various causes. They look for hope by envisaging a life where everything has changed. But these things are never certain and always fail to satisfy. And then the hopes of the world are extremely temporary. As life progresses, the window for the realisation of their hopes narrows. And as health declines, the possibilities get more and more limited. What hope is there for someone without the Lord as the end of their life approaches? But for the Christian, being born again brings hope. Even as the end of our life approaches, hope grows. Even as health declines, hope grows. As our circumstances get worse and worse, hope grows. Why? Because there is life everlasting to come because there is life in the presence of the Lord who we love, because the Lord Jesus is there already and will one day take us to be with him where he has already prepared a place for us and there all tears will be wiped away. There there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin and only joy and pleasure from the hand of the Lord whom we love. That is definitely something to look forward to. So life in Ziklag for David and those who went with him was much like the life we lead today. We live in exile away from our true heavenly kingdom. The temptation in this world is to pursue the same things in life as everybody else around us. They are fixated on pleasures and happiness that is found here. They are fading and temporary pleasures that ultimately will not fulfil. When you find yourself discontent, remind yourself of the fact that these worldly treasures don't bring lasting happiness. Enjoy what the Lord has already given you. Enjoy what you have. But meditate more and more on what you have in Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with God. You have a Heavenly Father, 
a Lord who is precious, gracious and merciful and loving. You have a relationship with God that is so close. His spirit dwells in you. And you can call on him any time. Set your fears and worries before him and he will hear you and guard you and keep you safe. And ultimately you have a future life that sits waiting for you that can never be taken away. A life full of joy, living in the presence of the Lord, who is the source of all good and all our joy. Praise be to God for all that he is, for all that he has done and for all that is to come. Amen.